morning. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 5 on page 968 in the normal print Bible and 1473 in the large print. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because grace is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thanks be to God. It's been great to have different members of our missionary committee involved in our our service this morning, so thank you all for for all the you do. Let's um, pray now as we come to, to God's word together. Father, we thank you that Jesus sacrificed his life, that we might enjoy peace, that we might become members of your kingdom. And as we have studied these blessings to those who are part of your kingdom. We rejoice in them. We want to take them to heart. And we want to live out the life of righteousness that we so hunger for. So we pray this morning that by the power of your spirit at work in us, you would make that possible and help us to hold on to the faith that we have, trusting in the promise that you will hold us fast. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the series on the Beatitudes, we've been looking at um, some amazing promises that Jesus made to those who would follow him. Uh, We're told that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. We've looked at some of the characteristics of his followers 
The fact that they recognize their spiritual poverty, they mourn their sin, they are meek, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are merciful, they are pure in heart. And I hope it's left you thinking, well, I want some of those promises for myself. And I want to live that sort of life. The kingdom of heaven is for me. Sign, sign me up. But then we come to the end of the Beatitudes, and instead of the great climax that we are expecting, we are told, blessed are the persecuted. It's almost like the wind is taken out of us. I wasn't really expecting that. But this isn't just something that Jesus is slipping into the terms and conditions, knowing that everybody just ticks the box without really reading them. Elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And on other occasions, even more direct with his disciples, when he says to them, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And that's exactly what happened. All by one of the twelve apostles are believed to have been killed for their faith. And it still goes on today. We saw the video earlier, didn't we, about uh, the five countries in the world where Christians are most persecuted, but a whole load of other countries where that's the case. If you pick up a copy of uh, Evangelicals Now, just read in that page about what's going on in the world, you'll read story after story of Christians who have been killed for their faith. Churches that have been burnt down. People who have been imprisoned. If persecution is hard enough to swallow, then Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me. Rejoice and be glad. We think, okay, I might be able to endure my persecutions, but rejoice in them, be glad in them. And not only does Jesus say, blessed are the persecutors, but before that he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, how does he expect his people to make peace when they're being persecuted? How do those two go together? Well, these are some of the things we're going to be looking at this morning on Persecuted Church Sunday as we look at these last two Beatitudes. So let's start with the first one, which is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus calls us to follow his example of peacemaking. God is a God of peace. He's described in the Bible as God of peace. The mission that Jesus came to do was a peacemaking mission. He came to reconcile, to make peace between a rebellious humankind and a holy God. And as it says in the letter to the Colossians that we've been looking at on Sunday evenings, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If we're Christians here this morning, we know the peace of God in our lives. We know what it is to be adopted into to God's family and to be his children. And just as a human child imitates their earthly father, so are we called to imitate our heavenly father. 
but meant to be a chip off the old block. Just as God loves peace and wants to bring about peace, so does he expect us to want to do the same, which is why peace is a fruit of the Spirit who indwells us, which is why in our nature as God's children we become peacemakers. We seek to live at peace with those around us as we love them and care for them. But I think there are two big temptations that we will face as we seek to live at peace with others. And in both of these, we're tempted to, to seek the easy way out. First of those is that um, we avoid those who've hurt us or we find difficult. And the second is we, we compromise the truth for the sake of getting on with everyone. What should we do in each of these situations if that is us? I'm sure it will be all of us at some different time. Well, in the first, we are called to love and pray for our enemies. If you look on at verse 43 in chapter 5 of Matthew, he says here, and um, some words are appear on the screen, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. To be a child of God is to seek peace with everyone, including our enemies. After all, God loved us when we were his enemies. Uh, Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's very easy, isn't it, when someone does or says something to, to hurt us, to withdraw, to distance ourselves from them, to not want anything to do with them. God could have done that. Um, Israel was continually rebellious against God, and although he disciplined them, he didn't stop loving them. He could have washed his hands of rebellious humankind. Uh, Jesus didn't need to humble himself and come to earth and be killed on a cross. But he chose to make that sacrifice. And for us to be a peacemaker, likewise, requires a sacrifice. It involves pain. It involves patience and persistence. And it involves engaging, both for us as individuals and as a church. We're not called to withdraw into a holy huddle, however comfortable that might be. And that's why the next verses that come after the Beatitudes are about uh, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's about us making a difference to the society around us, preserving the good, revealing what is not good. What does that look like in practice? Well, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, meekness, how we shouldn't fret when faced with unfair and hurtful accusations, but instead trust in God and do good. I talked about the building project planning process as an example of that. We're not just called to be meek, though. We're called to actively engage with those who oppose us, to love them. So when the planning application was turned down for the building the first time, because of objections raised by neighbours, we had a choice. One option was to appeal, and we had good grounds for, for that. But I wouldn't have helped our relationships with the parish council or, or the neighbours. We would have got the building, but at the expense of peace. 
Westminster. Instead, we took time to, to listen to their concerns, to make changes to the original plans. We accepted conditions on the building process that no developer would ever accept. But in the process, we built bridges and brought about peace. We seek peace with our enemies by loving them and also by praying for them. It's hard to hate someone you're praying for. Because if you are sincerely praying for their good, for them to change, then you have to accept that you might be the instrument that God chooses to bring about that change. And so you need to pray for yourself that uh, you'll be able to love them. To love your enemies without the help of God is very difficult. But it's amazing how when we hand over to God in prayer situations that appear to be irreconcilable, he brings peace. He changes those who are set against him and his people. To pray for our enemies is to pray that they will come to know the love of God for themselves and that he will do a change in them that we can't do. Enemies, of course, doesn't just mean those who are enemies of God. We can fall out with our fellow Christians. And the same response is expected of us, to, to love them and pray for them, to seek reconciliation. Because peace is about reconciliation. It's recognizing that what we have in common is far bigger than what might divide us. But what about the other temptation to compromise the truth for the sake of getting on with people? What's the antidote to that? Or just to seek purity above peace. I think deep down most of us want to get on with everybody, don't they? Don't we? We don't like conflict, we don't like confrontation. And the temptation is just gloss over our differences. If they're minor differences, that actually might be the best thing to do anyway. But if they're major differences, the Bible doesn't teach us that peace should be sought at any price. And it's interesting that this beatitude comes after the one that says, blessed are the pure in heart. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, what that purity is about is a wholehearted devotion to Jesus and his truth. A willingness to not compromise anything for his sake or to worship anything or anyone more than Jesus. Purity comes before peace. As it says in James 3, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Jesus is truth. And that truth can't be compromised for the sake of peace. Otherwise you'd simply have a, a false peace. So where might we be, be tempted to compromise the truth for the sake of peace? Well, in the gospel itself, and what it means to, to be saved. God made peace with us, but that peace came at a huge price. The cost of the death of Jesus. He gave his life. And that's why the freedom and peace he gives us comes with an expectation of full allegiance. We don't just accept Jesus as our saviour, we accept him as our Lord. We need to trust him and we need to obey him. And if we preach a gospel that says, well, just believe and carry on living your life however you want to lead it, that's not the true gospel. We're told to repent and believe, to turn away from living our lives our way and follow Jesus' way as it's revealed in his word. That's why unity and peace between churches is a, is a wonderful thing that God longs to see 
but not if it's a cheap piece at the expense of the truth. If we have different views on the gospel and on salvation, then we can't enjoy true unity. But we can still love them and pray for them. We may also compromise the truth when we ignore the sinful behavior of our brother or sister in Christ. There are processes the Bible sets out for church discipline which we need to take seriously. They are there for the benefit of the one who strays, that they may be restored. We're called to seek purity above peace and not compromise the truth. But what that means is that peace may not be possible. It says in Romans 12, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because if we take seriously our obligation to not compromise the truth, however hard we try, it may not be possible to achieve peace with some people. And that may even lead to our persecution, which is why the last beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls us to follow his example of being persecuted. If we are devoted to Jesus, we should expect persecution, because the world is against him. As Paul writes in his letter to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What is the cause of this persecution? Well, the Beatitudes says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's not saying that all persecuted people are blessed, but those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And we've already looked at the subject of righteousness in the Beatitudes. And the first three Beatitudes were to do with, with emptiness, acknowledging our spiritual poverty, mourning our sin, being meek. And they led to a hunger for righteousness, a hunger to live the life the Lord has called us to lead. And that type of righteous living is one of mercy, purity, peace, but also of persecution. If you look at verse 11, Jesus changes his teaching now to make it more direct and personal. Up to now he's been talking about his followers in the third person, but now he addresses them directly. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. To be persecuted because of righteousness is the same as being persecuted because of Jesus. A righteous life is a life that follows Jesus and lives for him. He is the one who shows us how to live a life of mercy, of purity and peacemaking. He is the one who makes it possible for us to live such a life. And when we are persecuted because of Jesus, he also is persecuted because we are united to, to him. Before Paul was converted, his name was Saul. And he went around persecuting followers of Jesus. On the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light and called out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But why should following Jesus inevitably lead to persecution? Well, because when Jesus came into the world, 
people persecuted him. They hated him. As it says in John 3, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Purity is about a wholehearted devotion to Jesus and his truth. If we are devoted to Jesus, then we will reflect his light and continue to shine it into the world. And it will prompt the same reaction as the one that Jesus got. Many will hate the light because it exposes their evil deeds. And that will play out in different ways in, in our society. If we follow Jesus, then we will want to be sexually pure. But for those who want to be free to express their sexuality in whatever way they want to, that will come across as an attack on their lifestyle. For some, it will be an attack on their identity. If we follow Jesus, then we we won't worship our career. We won't be prepared to make the sacrifices that others are in order to progress. We won't be prepared to follow unethical procedures that others have just taken as normal. That will make others feel threatened. If we follow Jesus, we won't simply go along with the parenting values of everyone around us. At best, other parents will just think we're a bit odd. At worst, we'll be ostracized. If we follow Jesus, we will keep our eating and drinking habits under control which will be an affront to those who eat and drink to excess. If we follow Jesus, we believe that we are following the one true God. In this country, that may lead to being branded intolerant or a bigot. In other countries, it may lead to attack, imprisonment, or death. Because you've got these two very different value systems coming into conflict against one another. Now, the value system in this country may not be that different at the moment, but it's becoming increasingly divergent. In other countries, it's already massively divergent. That's why there's this conflict. It means that although at one level Jesus came to bring peace between people and God, for those who do not accept that peace, it causes division. As Jesus said, our man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Well, how do we respond in the face of persecution? Well, we do what we can to make peace by praying for our enemies, loving our enemies, as we've just been talking about, letting our light shine. Because although many will reject us, there will be others who respond differently. Have a look at verse 16 of Matthew 5. Because there it says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, so that they too will become converted and become members of the kingdom of heaven. So we have these two very different responses. On the one hand, people will want to persecute us in whatever form that might take. On the other, people will want to join us. But you may think, well, I've got a lot of non-Christian friends, and um, they don't hate me, but they just haven't become Christians. Well, you know, what's going on with them? Well, it may be here, as Jesus warns, that we are hiding our light under a bowl. Maybe we're not living a distinctive enough life that they see anything different about us. 
they know we're Christians there, but apart from going to church on a Sunday, they think we're just pretty much the same as they are. The biggest obstacle to our evangelism is our, our comfort, our complacency that we become part of this world. But on the other hand, by way of encouragement, it may be that we are shining the light, but it's just a very long process. Either for them towards conversion or maybe the opposite, towards persecution. But for many, there will be this battle going on inside them as they, they're drawn towards the Lord Jesus. But the sinful nature is pulling them away. But before we finish, what is it that's going to make us more willing to accept the persecution that comes with following Jesus and living these pure, distinctive lives? Well, Jesus finishes these beatitudes by saying in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But then he goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus calls us to focus on our reward in heaven rather than our earthly joys or our earthly pains. It's only if our hopes and desires are in heaven that we will be able to rejoice in the loss of the things that make us happy on earth. We will only be able to rejoice and be glad when these things are taken from us if we love heaven more. But you say, well, what about those stories of Christians who are actually murdered for their faith? How can we possibly rejoice and be glad in that? Well, at one level, we can't because death is a curse that resulted from sin coming into the world. Death was not part of God's original creation. It won't be a part of the new creation. When Jesus experienced the death of his uh, his friend Lazarus, who died of natural causes, as far as we know, he was outraged at death itself. But on another level, we are told in the Psalms, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Because Jesus has made it possible for us to enter heaven. Death has been defeated. Death is now no longer the end, it's the entry point into heaven. And Jesus is saying that the reward of heaven is greater than any suffering we can possibly endure for his sake, even death itself. That's why this uh, Nigerian schoolgirl, Leah Sharabu, who was abducted by Boko Haram just over two years ago, aged 14, was prepared to remain a hostage while her friends were released One of the other released girls said this at that time, describing what happened. She said, Leah was told to say some Islamic incantations before she would be allowed onto the truck. But she refused. She said, I will never say it because I'm not a Muslim. They became angry and told her if she wouldn't denounce Christ, she would remain with them. Still, Leah refused. We watched Leah being left alone with the other members. We kept crying and waving at her until the truck vanished. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And to help us keep our minds and hearts focused on heaven, we can remember the prophets of old who were persecuted. 
and the example they set. Those who were killed for the sake of God. In Hebrews 11, we read of them. There it says, some face jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. We can remember the martyrs of the 16th century, such as Bishop John Hooper, who wrote a few weeks before his death, you must now turn all your thoughts from the peril you see and mark the felicity, the joy that followeth the peril. Beware of beholding too much the joy or misery of this world for the consideration and too earnest love or fear of either of them draweth from God. It will take you away from God. I can remember the martyrs of the 20th century like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who stood up against the Nazis. Before he was hanged, he said, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. And we can read and pray for our brothers and sisters in other countries today who face martyrdom on a daily basis. Sign up to receive the resources from Open Doors or Barnabas Fund or another of the Christian organizations. But for all of those people we pray for, for ourselves as well, the reassurance comes from 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our lights and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's have a moment to reflect on what we've heard to allow the Spirit to speak into our situations, to tell us what we need to hear from, from this this morning. To do with peacemaking, being prepared to be persecuted and actually rejoicing in our persecution. How do we live lives that are different, are distinctive? How can we be salt and light? Father God, we praise you that you are a God of peace. We do thank you again for the peace that you made possible through the death of Jesus who reconciled us to you. Thank you for that peace that we enjoy with you. Thank you for that day we look forward to when we will see you face to face. And in the meantime, Lord, you call us to live lives of purity, lives of peacemaking, lives of righteousness, to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. And we pray you would enable us to do that. But Lord, we also recognize that we may be persecuted as we live for you, as we stand up for you. That may come in different forms, Lord. Whatever form that takes, we pray you'd help us to stand firm in our faith. We think of the examples we've been looking at this morning of those who are willing to, to die for their faith. Lord, may we have that same courage as we remember the, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Lord, help us to keep focused on heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.